Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Vertical Momentum, where we talk to game changers and thought leaders today. And I want to thank our sponsors, first of all, uh, Kurt Ballish. Today we're going to be talking about True Grit. And uh, this gentleman, his name is Kurt Ballish, owns a company called Ballish Woodworks, makes some of the best um, woodworking products, makes my wife, made my wife a cutting board that we use every single day. So definitely check out ballishwoodwork.com. And guys, this is going to be a great episode. This is going to get your pen and paper out. If you want to know what True Grit is, this gentleman that we're going to talk to is the epitome of True Grit. Um, he's done some great things in uniform and i think he's even doing better things out of uniform uh his name general david five coat and i'm so blessed and honored to be able to talk to him today how are you doing sir hey richard can you hear me oh i hear you great okay hey uh i i really appreciate the promotion uh, but I was only, uh, I retired as a Colonel. I didn't, I, I didn't ever make general. So don't want any of your audience to be out there and, uh, and, and uh, think I, I, I did a self-promotion, uh, on the way out the door. Oh, you mean, you mean, I can't give you a field grade promotion. <laughs> I appreciate it, but I didn't earn it. So, uh, so I don't want to say, say that again. How are you doing today? I, I'm doing great. We had a big storm last night here in Georgia. I live in uh, Columbus, Georgia, which is right outside the gates of uh, Fort Benning, which I know I think you passed through and many of your audience uh, passed through at one point in time. Uh, but we all survived the storm and uh, it's looking at, to be like another great uh, spring Georgia day today. You know, and I'm, I'm originally from South Carolina and I spent a lot of time in Georgia um, I've never seen mosquitoes as big as I have seen in Georgia. So. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we definitely have spring here. Uh, everything is covered in this green uh, layer of pollen right now. Uh, even the rain last night didn't, didn't the street is, is green right now. Uh, I guess that, that that's in honor of St. Patrick's day, right? The allergies are probably acting up. Right, right. So where where are you originally from and what kind of little boy was David? Yeah, um, so I grew up in Delaware, Ohio, which is a small town just north of Columbus, Ohio. So right in the middle of the state. Uh, my dad was a, a school teacher and then uh, went to work as a manager at a, at a warehouse in town. Um, uh, mom worked in uh, computers and uh, was a both a both a student and an athlete. Uh, I played football, I played baseball, I wrestled a little bit, um, it, and so really tried to, to, to you know, take that uh, upbringing from Ohio, uh, and the thing that you, your audience will be interested in was I love to read military history, um, and so uh, I probably read just about every book on World War II that was in the Delaware County Public Library, uh, and that sort of led me to West Point. My family didn't have a military tradition, um, but of course, all the World War II American heroes had attended uh, West Point from Patton to MacArthur to Eisenhower to Bradley. Um, and it, when it came time to apply to colleges, it was just sort of a natural fit. Uh, and so I applied to, to go to West Point and uh, took off on, on my, my army career. Now, you know, I talked to, like I said, I talked to hundreds of, of people on our show now, 
and some of the most successful people in high school and and, uh, and grammar school turned out to be wrestlers. And, and I think it's because the mental toughness that it takes to actually wrestle, and especially when it comes down to cutting weight. So I think you that you know you that's where true grit actually begins, especially with wrestlers because they have to sometimes get ready for a competition around the holidays and they can't eat anything because they're cutting weight while everybody else around them is pigging out. So how did you, how were you, you know, you think you're meant to have at a young age, you think wrestling helped you? Uh, definitely think uh, wrestling helped me. Um, so there was a phenomenal, he was both the wrestling coach and the football coach as sometimes happens in small towns uh, by the name of, of Dick Sanfilippo. And Dick was a, was and is a, a, a long-term uh, you know, mentor and hero of mine and um, enjoyed playing football for him. And he was really trying to energize the wrestling program. So went out and wrestled and, and, and really enjoyed that. And just the idea, you know, you got to step into the, to the circle and the mat, you know, I think you probably get the same thing out of boxers, you know, that, that are willing to, you know, cut weight, have the discipline, work out hard, really test themselves. And then, um, you know, be part of a team and be part of the team organization. But when it all comes down to it, they've got to step out uh, on the mat or into the ring uh, and do it. One of the things that I did learn um, when I was running uh, Ranger School, uh, we talked to our partners, uh, the the Navy that was running uh, the, the SEAL uh, training or BUDS. And interestingly, they, they said the only consistent demographic that made it through buds at a higher rate was ex uh, high school and college wrestlers. And so there's something to that. Uh, I even had uh, a person in finance um, talk about, hey, you know, we need to go hire some more wrestlers because we need more grit in our organization. And so there is something to it that, you know, whether it's uh, the folks that are attracted to wrestling or boxing uh, uh, are just naturally gritty or it turns them into grit, gritty kind of individuals. There's something there. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure what exactly it is, but there, there is something different about, but about those kind of folks. And do you think, uh, you know, like I said, I've talked to a lot of people now I'm blessed, um, but uh, able, you know, a lot of the guys that were wrestlers or females, they'll actually say it was because I had to take responsibility because I couldn't blame my team. If I got pinned, it was all on me. Right. So they take a lot of self-responsibility. Right. Right. And uh, so as a freshman, I wrestled uh, varsity and uh, I spent a lot of time on my back uh, counting, counting lights and ceiling tiles that were, were, were out. So uh, huge, huge challenge. Uh, but I think you're right. You know, they, they've got the, the individual responsibility when you step out there because it's only in the ring. Um, on the show today, uh, I'm in the process of publishing a book, uh, which is entitled Grow Your Grit. Uh, it'll be out uh, mid-July. Mid uh, it's currently at the editor and, and the cover designer and a bunch of other things are going on in the, in the background right now. But uh, this summer it'll be out. But one of the folks I write about is Dan Gable. Uh, as you know, you know, yep. probably the one of the top two uh, American wrestlers ever uh, and then goes on to a very successful coaching career at, at Iowa. Uh, but 
my dad um, actually and my uncle, my uncle was a reporter uh, in uh, Chicago and he and my dad went to Northwestern in 1970 uh, to see the, the NCAA uh, wrestling meet, which is the wrestling championship. Um, and if you watch the old films of Dan Gable and his only college defeat, which, which, which was against a wrestler by the name of Larry Owings, who um, was from Oregon or Washington, cut weight to make it down to, to Dan Gable's weight class because he wanted to wrestle the best. Um, and in Dan Gable's last, last uh, wrestling match uh, of his entire career in college, um, he loses for the first time ever. He hadn't lost in high school, hadn't lost in college, but won two straight NCAA championships and then was the NCAA runner-up. Um, but Gable takes that loss and that focuses him uh, probably better than if he had won uh, on making himself the best inter international wrestler that that he possibly could be. And he goes on to win the Worlds in, in 71, and then in 72 goes to the Olympics uh, and wins the gold medal in Munich. Um, and, and then he says, you know, in his own words, uh, you know, as he looks back on it, you know, that loss to Larry um, uh, was was the defining thing that made him such a great wrestler and really put him over over the top. But in the small world, if you go back and watch the videos, my dad – uh, and my uncle are there in the front row because my uncle had a, a, a press pass and was taking photos of the of the match. Um, but, you know, it's just sort of an interesting thing. And, and uh, it, it's one of the neat stories in the book. And I can't wait to get the book. And, uh, you know, I'm going to promote it. Um, like I said, I love reading. I'm a big reader, even though I lost my vision. So I'm like 80% blind, but it takes me a while to read a book, but I, I'll, I, I do read them. I just interviewed Brent Gleason has a book out called embrace the suck. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so I, I just love, re I'm a big reader and I find that, you know, I've talked to a lot of operators now <laughs> and a lot of them are almost all of them are, you know, they believe that readers are leaders. And and you started out at such a young age reading. Was that just something that you just picked up one day and be like, wow, I, I love reading about military? Uh, so my parents, uh, I, I will have to defer to my parents again, um, were, were big advocates of reading. Uh, to I have a younger brother. He's two years younger than me, but both to me and my, my younger brother. And so when I went to kindergarten, I was one of the few I, it was me and one other uh, kid in my kindergarten class that could read um, when we started out uh, kindergarten, which I think gave me a huge advantage over my peers. Um, and I loved reading. My parents could always buy me a book and stick me in the corner uh, and I, I would be uh, very happy and content. Uh, I tried to pass that on to my daughter. Uh, she enjoys reading. Uh, she's going through the Harry Potter uh, series right now. Uh, but I am also a big believer that readers are leaders and I've blogged about it. I've done several, several posts on, Hey, here's six books uh, that I think are great for, for different groups and uh, continue to, 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 to hit that message that, you know, you as a leader, you know, you only have a certain amount of time, you know, 168 hours every week uh, and a certain finite amount of experience that you can get during that, that time. And reading just provides a, a window into other people's experience that you can leverage and not make the same mistakes that they did. 
uh, or figure out better ways to do things than, than what they did. And it, it just really gives you an advantage. Um, you're not going to ever, you know, like right now, as I stand up my own company, which, you know, I know you are with the, with the podcast, you know, I, I'm right back in the books trying to figure out, you know, how to do uh, advertising better or, you know, run a CRM or stand up my own web website or anything else. And I turn to books to do that. Um, we, you know, we now have some other, uh, you know, things that are out there like podcasts like this uh, that I listen to and try to, to leverage. Uh, but, you know, you got to grab onto those things and, uh, and use them uh, to your advantage. You know, and I totally agree. And I think, you know, once you, once you stop learning, pretty much it's game over. Right. You know, so like before we got on today, you know, I'm trying to read about SEO and search engine op optimization, you know, just trying to learn more, just, you know, to be better at what you do. Cause if you're not, you know, if, if you're not improving, you know, then you're, then you're failing. So you get, you know, now for some reason you're like the third person I've talked to a West Point graduate this week. So, um, <laughs> And, you know, I'm from South Carolina, so, of course, I'm partial to the city. Yeah. Though. But uh, talk to us about, you know, what West Point is actually like and not what we think it's like. <laughs> um, so I, I graduated from West Point in, in 1993, so I'm, I'm closing in on 30 years uh, from, from being there. Um, you know, one of the things that we said as as cadets, which I think is is still pretty true, is you know it's a great place to be from, but sometimes it's not the greatest place to be at. Uh, and part of that was, you know, the college experience that I had is a lot different than the normal, uh, you know, average person's college experience. You know, much more structured, much more rigor, uh, a lot more rules. Um, but that in I'm guessing you didn't get a lot of demerits. Uh, I did actually. <laughs> uh, I am probably. Uh, it's kind of funny when uh, I walked eight, uh, 85. No, not 85. I, I earned 85 hours. I didn't walk that many. I walked about 60 because a couple of them uh, were knocked off for various reasons, uh, for good, uh, for for various things. But I tend to to beat. Uh, a large number of my classmates for a number of hours walked. Uh, I got busted as uh, as a as a rising sophomore for drinking three sips of beer uh, in the barracks, and because of that, I got a sixty five hour uh, time to walk on the area. And walking on the area, it's, it, think of a big parking lot. Uh, you get in your best uniform with your M14 rifle, you get inspected at the beginning of it, and you can walk two hours on Friday and three hours on Saturday to walk those those hours off. Um, if it is a four-day weekend, you also get uh, time on Monday, which can get you another, I think, another five hours uh, if it's a federal holiday. So uh, it's a slow process, uh, and you get a lot of time out there as you walk back and forth. And if you want to talk about a clock moving so slowly, uh, you know, there was a big clock there that you could stare at as you walk back and forth across the across the area. Uh, time moved uh, super slow uh, during during your time out there uh, on the uh, – oh, sorry, go ahead. What, what did you – what did you major in? So I majored in history. Uh, and the great thing about West Point is I made lifelong friends uh, there. Uh, there's a group, uh, a, a group of about 10 of us uh, 
that now get together every spring and uh, play golf. Uh, we did. We were able to do it uh, last year in Texas. Uh, haven't done it this year. Uh, I think we're going to postpone it till the fall or maybe uh, take the year off based on COVID and, and folks traveling. Uh, but, uh, you, you know, those lifelong friends are the ones that, you know, I still talk to, you know, once or twice a week. I reach out to one of those friends from West Point. Um, you know, you've got the history. You've got the 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 common uh, hardship and experience together, and and it's really uh, a neat group of folks that I'm I'm glad I made friends with, and and have been part of my life now for the last almost thirty years. So, when you graduated, uh, did you go into the military? right away yeah so uh everybody that's commissioned uh so you go to graduation in the morning uh on may 29th 1993 and then in the afternoon i was commissioned as a second lieutenant uh depending on which uh at that point in time it was iobc the infantry officer basic course and now it's called bolick the infantry uh, basic office officer leader course whichever one you get you get that much time of vacation before you have to report in my case to Fort Benning. Uh, so I had about 25 days off and then reported at the end of June uh, here to Fort Benning and started uh, uh, IOBC uh, and then went right into Ranger School uh, and then did uh, one other course and then reported to the 82nd Airborne Division as a brand new uh, second lieutenant. Uh, interestingly, my first uh, uh, First battalion commander was a guy by the name of Stan McChrystal, um, and we spent all summer training up uh, to do the potential airborne invasion of Haiti, uh, which was going to be in September of 1994. And we got to the point where we loaded ammo, uh, went through the whole uh, pre-jump process and loaded airplanes and flew uh, down towards Haiti to, to jump in at, at the Port-au-Prince International uh, Airport. We actually turned around because at the last minute, uh, the leader of Haiti capitulated uh, to a, a, a diplomatic effort led by former President uh, Carter. Uh, and we turned around and we came back to Fort Bragg. Uh, we sat around for a day because there was a thought that we might go in in a, in a different capacity. Uh, and then we turned in all the ammunition and we went back uh, and we went back to work. Um, okay, then I have a question, yeah. you know, because like I just. I just interviewed Rich Devinney, which was a Navy SEAL, and he he worked with a certain Navy SEAL that uh, command that we can't talk about. But um, we were talking about what it takes the mindset of an operator, mm -hmm. like uh, a Ranger or you know Airborne, Delta Force, Navy SEALs, and he said the one trait that almost everybody that I've talked to that have gone through either buds or or um, any kind of high level training is that it's just the one more rep it's just the one more push-up that they in their mindset is they can't quit they rather pass out than quit so talk to us about the mindset of a a, a successful person that gets through ranger and airborne school what is the one because you know he's you know like we talked and he said there's a lot of guys that are pt studs that you think, you know, okay, they're all jacked up. They're all shredded. They can run like a deer, but mentally is, is where they break sometimes. So what mindset does it take to get through those schools? Yeah. Um, 
So just just to be be clear here, um, I'm not an operator. Uh, never served in any of the uh, of the special operations uh, organizations. I am Ranger qualified. I'm Airborne qualified. Jump Master, uh, all that served in uh, eight, the 82nd and in the in the 101st. Um, but as a, as a colonel, I, I was lucky enough to go back and, and, and be the, the leader of the Airborne and Ranger Training Brigade, which oversees both Ranger School and Airborne School. Uh, like to say at that point in time, I was sort of the principal uh, of those uh, two schools because I got to see all the bad, uh, the bad uh, individuals that were either weren't being successful or didn't follow the, the rules. Um, and it is interesting to look at what it takes to make it through those. Um, the, the advice I gave uh, every person that I came into contact with is you got to have that mentality that, hey, uh, you know, every day I'm going to get up and I'm going to put one, one foot in front of the other. And I'm just going to keep on going on until I can no longer uh, do it and have that, you know, never say, you know, never quit kind of kind of attitude. Um, I went to, uh, I've been to a bunch of Ranger School graduations now, and, and at one of the Ranger School graduations, a sergeant major uh, brought this, uh, told this funny story, which I really appreciate, and I think it's an it's an interesting uh, insight into folks uh, at Ranger School. And he said, "Yeah, you know, you know," and he'd been extremely successful in the Army, and he said, "Yeah, you know, at Ranger School, you know, I quit every day, but I was too afraid to tell anybody, and so I just kept." kept going on. And I love that story because I think it, it's really uh, indicative of the mentality that you've got to have. You know, yes, it's hard. Yes, it makes you want to quit. Yes, it's, uh, you know, extremely tough. It's pushing your boundaries. It's pushing you farther than you've ever gone before. Uh, but you've got to have that mentality that, hey, I'm not going to quit. I'm going to keep, you know, taking one more step, uh, doing one more thing to help the squad out uh, to make it successful. Uh, and that's really what carries on and gets uh, the folks uh, through uh, Ranger School. Okay, now uh, you know usually a lot of times when some you know somebody gets in the military um, and they you know they get a uh, captain or major, a lot of times that that's where the pushing stops or they age out. I get I don't know what they call it, but it's they don't push as hard and you know and a lot of people i've talked to you know higher echelon is they always believe in in pushing themselves to further themselves so what was your thought process you know because you know especially when you start getting a captain and major and then you want to push a little further what was your mindset because i believe that you know there's there's um there's always room on the extra mile because there's not a lot of people on it so what made you push yourself to want to move further into the military instead of, you know, maybe just becoming a captain and be like, all right, I'm. Yeah. Um, so, so when you graduate from West Point, you have a five year active duty commitment. And my mentality always was, hey, I'm going to I'm going to stop. I'll stop doing the army when it when it when it stops being fun. And inevitably, I would get to that point where I needed to make a decision. And I'm like, hey, this is still fun. I'm still enjoying it. I like being around the people. Uh, I enjoy doing physical fitness in the morning and getting paid for it. Uh, I, I enjoy it. But I also had that drive uh, and still have that drive on, you know, the everyday a little bit better. You know, whether you call it the, 
hey, I'm going to get better 1% every day or every day better, whatever your, your slogan is, uh, I definitely have it. You know, just like you, you know, you said you were, you're working on, on trying to improve your, your SEO. Uh, one of the things I do every, every night is I make a list for the next day of stuff that needs to get done. Uh, and on it, uh, it, you know, it has a list of the things that I'm, I'm trying to improve. Uh, you know, this morning I worked uh, a little bit on my webpage to, to try to, you know, I had a couple of little things that, oh yeah, I want to tweak this and I want to tweak that. And so I'm still doing it today, you know, Every day I'm trying to, to get better. Uh, and I like to think that I do the same thing uh, with the clients that I have uh, now that I'm, I'm, I'm doing consulting uh, and leadership development. I'm trying to help them become a little bit better, give them an advantage, give them a new idea, a new way of looking at a problem uh, that, that might help them uh, be just that 1% better uh, that gives them an advantage uh, in their workplace or in their nonprofit or on their sports team. Okay. Now I, I have a lot of, you know, people, I'm in a lot of groups, a lot of veterans organizations and um, you know, I ask them what questions I should ask. So they have a couple questions, but you know, I'm a big history guy. I, I love history. I love the military channel. I love the history channel. And the one show that actually it really got to me is um, the couple weeks before we dropped the bombs. Um, everything, you know, that the president, he had to it took he had he said he didn't sleep for like two weeks trying to make that decision because he he knew what if he didn't drop the bombs what it would be like and if he did drop the bombs what it would be like so in your opinion what is a feeling you know especially since you're in a command to send your soldiers out knowing that some of them might not come back how did that affect you yeah. Um, you know, it, it, it's one of the, you know, the toughest things about uh, being a, a, a commander and a leader uh, in combat. Uh, I led the 3rd Battalion 187 uh, Infantry, also known as the Iron Rockasans, uh in Afghanistan from 2010 to 2011. Uh, over our 12 months there in, in eastern Afghanistan, we fought down in Paktika province and Ghazni province. Um, we had over a hundred soldiers uh, wounded and, and three soldiers uh, unfortunately uh, killed. Uh, you know, that is, you know, an extremely tough thing, you know, where, you know, you feel uh, as a leader, I feel still feel, you know, ownership and responsibility uh, for the decisions that eventually, uh, you know, led uh, to, to those soldiers, uh, not coming home. Uh, and, and it's one of the tough things. And I, you know, you get the, you know, I totally get the, the contemplation uh, that uh, President Truman went through uh, there in 1945 on his decision uh, to, to bomb uh, Japan, uh, you know, because he's weighing the idea of having to invade uh, the Japanese home islands. He's seen how, how tough, the Japanese had fought on Iwo Jima and Okinawa, and uh, the belief is that the Japanese are going to fight that hard on the on the home islands as well. Uh, and so he, he's potentially risking the lives of, of thousands of American uh, and British and Russian uh, soldiers in this uh, eventual invasion, uh, or he has the ability to to use this weapon 
that had only been tested once. They tested it in New Mexico uh, only, uh, I think, at the end of July of 45. So it's almost, uh, it's only like a week or two from testing and proving that it works to actually employing it. Um, and so they tested it uh, and he has to decide, you know, you know, weigh that in the, in the ballots. And it was not an easy decision for Truman. And he, uh, you know, I think it, it, it weighed on him uh, for the rest of his life in the same way that all of us who have been commanders, all the veterans that you've talked to that have had soldiers that have been in our, in our charge, uh, you know, feel that burden, uh, you know, years uh, afterwards. So what was it like when you, when you're moving up literally up the chain of command, and trying to, you know, you know, you're hanging out with all these, you know, high level and, you know, you're in talk, probably talking to the presidents at some time at, at some time in the White House and stuff like that. How do you toe the line of remembering what it was like as a second lieutenant and having to, um, you know, be with the guys and but then also having to um command was there a kind of did you always remember where you came from because a lot of i think a lot of people when they when they move up the chain of command they kind of forget where they came from what about <laughs> yourself well, uh so one of the th one of the things that i did uh with every every new officer that came into my organization either as a battalion commander or as a brigade commander is i would do one-on-one -on -one, uh physical fitness with them um, and to me, that was a way to get to know them. It's a good way to stay in touch with folks that are, that are a much lower level. Um, when I was running the, the ARTB, we didn't have lieutenants. Um, it was only captains uh, as officers uh, there. And, but in the Iron Rockazons, of course, we had lieutenants, uh, which was a great way to you know, remember what's important to them, what they're focused on, uh, which, of course, is different. Um, I think the other thing that, you know, for leaders in the in the military that they don't get uh, that you don't see in the in the corporate world uh, is this idea of a sergeant major. And for me, uh, uh, multiple sergeant majors, both op sergeant majors and command sergeant majors in the Iron Rockasons and same in, in ARTB were the way that I used to remind myself, you know, what's important down at the lower level and stay grounded in what's important. Uh, at at the at the grassroots level, and you know, Kurt Arnold was my uh, sergeant major uh, in in ARTB, and he would regularly remind me, "Hey, you know, we've got to think about you know this, this, and this." That your instructors are going on down with the black hats uh, at Airborne School, and it's a great way to 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 stay grounded. Now, I've got a question for you because I saw on your uh, LinkedIn bio that you were. Uh, uh, you were armor and you commanded a tank, right? Yeah. So yeah. tell tell me what was your favorite part of being a, a tank commander? Um, me for, it was yeah. the camaraderie. It was the um, nights out in the desert, sitting up on the tank at 3 a.m., just throwing the shit and talking to each other. You know, the four of us became a band of brothers. And I think that was probably the greatest thing about you know being a tank commander was just being part of a team and you know and having those guys you know like i always thought 
you know, when I became a non-commissioned officer, I took the NCO creed very, very seriously. And I was always training people to take my job. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, you know, cause they always had like, if we were be at NTC, you know, they would come up with the guide gun and okay. Uh, tank commander, you're dead. You know, now you're, now you're, uh, your gunner has to take over mm-hmm. the ta- over the vehicle. And I wanted to make sure that he knew his job. And then I wanted to make sure the driver knew, knew everybody. Everybody knew everybody's job on the vehicle. And I think that that was one of the things I always loved teaching. And I, I loved being that guy that will get down and get dirty. And if I, we got to tra- change track, I'm not going to be sitting there smoking and joking. Right. I'm going to be down there with you. So that was the best thing about being a, and plus <laughs> I got to blow stuff up. So that was Right. Well, I so uh, you probably couldn't tell uh, from my bio, but I actually um, so I was a battalion S three or operations officer in one six four armor, the Desert Rogues, and I actually had a tank uh, for two weeks until one of our companies got a, one of their tanks blown up in a, by an IED in Eastern Baghdad, and so I had to give my tank up to the to the line company. Um, so I had a tank for two weeks. Uh, and occasionally we get invited out to, to roll around w- with, with some of the armor companies, uh, and sit in the loader's hatch. Uh, but I love, you know, the, the M1 is such an amazing, uh, vehicle, uh, you know, with its ability to, to go, you know, 40, 50 miles an hour, uh, you know, stop, uh, and it's, but it's 70 tons and you're like, you know, this is, you know, this is just amazing uh, that we've got a vehicle like this. Be able, be able to shoot on the move right. and all that stuff. Now, one guy, you know, he's a friend of mine now. Um, he was actually my uh, company commander, but he came, He I got on his tank when he was a second lieutenant. And it was amazing. I was like, <laughs> he never slept. You know, was, I would be up on radio watch and he'd be like, just go to bed. I got this. I'm like, what do you mean you got this? He's like, I got it. Don't worry about it. And it was just amazing that he was a police officer on, on his civilian job. But it was amazing how a different mindsets that, you know, um, certain officers that go to military academies have than, than just a regular, you know, person that goes to college and gets in as a second lieutenant. So now how many years? So, did you so I did before? 24 years. Uh, I retired in uh, 2017. And so I guess I've, uh, I've now been out almost, it'll be four years uh, in August. Now, were you married at uh, the so, time? So, so I'm divorced. Got- um, uh, my ex-wife is here in Columbus, um, and we have an 11-year-old daughter uh, that we, 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 we work hard at being good joint parents with. Well, no, the only reason why I asked that, you know, because – now we're going to talk about business and we're going to talk about, you know, transitioning out. You know, when I talked to General Petraeus, what a great individual, what an amazing person. He has such insights on on um, transitioning. That's why I'm so glad I get to talk to you today. Uh, but a lot of guys or girls, when they get out, you know, first of all, when they get out, they lose the camaraderie. They say that's the number one thing. They, they lose camaraderie. Number two is when they get out, you know, even though we're supposed to be hardcore, hua, hua, you know, we get used, get used to get paid on the 1st and the 15th, used to get in TRICARE, used to get 30 days paid vacation, you know, then when they hit the streets, you have nothing most of the time. And then, you know, a lot of times people lose their mission. They don't have a mission in life anymore. Like for me, 
everything was to be was being Sergeant Kaufman. And then when I got hurt on duty and they figure you can't see, you can't shoot. So they retire you out. Now I don't know who Richard is. And a lot of times when people, I find that when they get out, they don't have that hard conversation with their significant other at the kitchen table about, you know, what they want to do. So they start a business, you know, a lot of guys that get out of military, they start a t-shirt company, hat company, coffee, uh, liquor or, or coffee. And six months later, they're $10,000 in debt and don't know what the hell just happened. So did you have, what kind of conversations did you have when you were getting out? What was your transitioning Um, like? So a couple, couple of thoughts there. First, first off, uh, I, I totally get and understand, uh, the loss of sense of self when you transition from something in, in my case, if you add in the four years at West Point, I had been doing it for 28 years. Uh, you know, I was where I'd been wearing a uniform for 28 years and that was a large part of my identity. Um, and so as I, I swapped out, uh, there was an adjustment. Uh, first off, you know, I had never worked in, in a corporate group. I went to work for a small uh, company that did leadership training that took folks to battlefields uh, and used the history as a way to teach leadership, which was a great experience for me. It, uh, it, it showed me some things. Uh, it was a small company, so I learned a little bit about, uh, you know, being an entrepreneur and small businesses um, and, and saw that. Um, and got to talk and got paid to talk about history and leadership, two things that, that I love, um, I, you know, fast forward. So, but one of the things that helped me in the transition and maintain my sense of self was i had always enjoyed the physical fitness aspect of the army. And so, um, one of the things that I really focused in on as I tried to, to change my, you know, you're changing your identity as you leave the military, was I focused on the physical fitness aspect. And you see it, you know, I, I, I connected with a guy that was in uh, my airborne company uh, as, when I was a company commander just uh, or reconnected uh, just this week. And he's gotten into, he's ginormous right now. He's a huge weightlifter. Um, and so, uh, you know, Using that physical fitness, which is an aspect of your military service, can help you bridge that gap as you try to find your new uh, identity. And for me, I started racing triathlons and riding, uh, racing uh, bicycles, um, and I, I, I enjoy the heck out of it. Uh, I rode you know, over 7,000 miles last year. Um, I'm on, on track for that this year. We'll do a couple races here coming up. Um, and so... Uh, for me, that that was one of the things that helped me uh, make the tra- transition, uh, and and then um, you know I I decided to start my own company back here in March. Um, you know, figured I was not being gritty enough uh, that, and so I should start my own company uh, on the on the cusp of the pandemic uh, and and try to give a go at it and uh, see if I can make it work. Okay, so now. I'm going to ask this question because if I don't ask it, I'm not going to remember it. I got a traumatic brain injury, so sometimes I forget stuff. Um, So if I don't ask it, it I don't don't remember until afterwards. Like, damn, I should ask that question. What is your definition of true grit? So I just call it grit. And so, uh, you know, for 
and I really see there's two types of grit. There's there's personal grit, which is what you and I and and uh, you know thousands and hundreds of thousands of people have. And then I also see a, a sort of a separate subset of that, which is organizational grit, which is where gritty groups come together uh, and are able to do that. So personal grit, of course, is the will to persevere to achieve long-term goals. And that uh, involves having a purpose, uh, a goal, uh, and a plan, uh, some perseverance, some resilience to bounce back when you have the inevitable setback, uh, some courage to deal with fear of failure. And I, you know, you've seen that uh, as a small business owner. Uh, and then last, a drive. You know, you've got to have some sort of drive, whether it's externally or, or internally uh, driven. Um, organizational grit is the group, is a group, uh, and it's the group's will to persevere to achieve long-term goals. And that takes leadership, purpose, a goal and, and a plan, a scoreboard to keep track because you're going to, you know, it's a long range goal and a culture and, and teamwork uh, to help, help get you there. Uh, so those are the two things that I see as grit. You've got personal grit, which is the will to persevere to achieve long-term goals and then organizational grit. Okay. Now, cause like I have my, a, a small group that um, mm -hmm. I call them my amigos, you know, and we're all, we all hold each other accountable, you know, and we all are just pushing, pushing forward, which I think is what would fall into that organizational grit. But, you know, each of the people that are in my amigos, they all have that mm -hmm. personal grit. So, you know, so how to, how does, you know, like a lot of people, you know, when they get out of the military, you know, they think the world is going to open up to them and everybody is going to want to hire them. And then like my friend, Nick, you know, Nick, Nick Valentine says, you know, once you step foot off base, the military doesn't give a shit about you. Um, you know, your, the phone stops ringing once you, once you get out of the military. So what was your transitioning into the business world? What are some things you wish you would have known in February <laughs> that, you know, now, when before you started your business <laughs> yeah uh, a lot of things um so you're right you know the military doesn't you know i've been out now almost four years and uh the army hasn't called me once uh to ask me to come back and help them out solve a problem or do anything else uh like that i i just i do still stay in contact with uh folks that i've served with um uh in that's been enjoyable. Uh, but there are things, you know, once you're, once you're out that, you know, the whole, uh, you know, there's, there's a whole bunch of controversy right now over the, the, the new physical fitness test, the ACFT. And frankly, I'm like, uh, I, I, I couldn't be bothered. Um, some things on standing up a small business that I think, um, you know, are important to, to think about or know, or, 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 or understand that you you don't it, you don't get it until you're on this side. And so, you know, for the folks that are thinking about standing up a small business, and and anybody out there, any veteran that's transitioning that wants to stand up a small business, uh, I, I'd be happy to talk to you about my experience. I've written four or five blog posts. There's a couple more coming out here pretty soon about different aspects of standing up a business that I think are important. Um, 
But, uh, you know, the biggest thing on and the it, it's caused me to have a huge respect for small business owners. You know, the, the only income you have coming in is what sales you make. And so think about that, you know, on your, you know, for your, for your listeners out there, for anybody's main street. And, you know, you think about the, the, the restaurants that have, have struggled uh, during COVID or the small bike shops or, um, you know, the, the small uh, stores, clothing stores or stuff like that. You know, the only thing that they're making is the folks that come in the front door and buy the shirt or buy the meal or buy the bike. Uh, and it's the same way if you have a consulting business or a coffee business or t-shirt business, the only thing you make is uh, what you sell. And there's hundreds and thousands of competitors out there, especially now that we've got the web, but the web does give you an advantage too, that you can get out there and make sales that you wouldn't uh, have been able to make uh, 25 years ago. Uh, and, and so the first thing is, you know, that idea of having that courage to deal with the real fears that are going to come in because um, I went a whole quarter without getting a, a single client and you've got to be ready to weather that um, you've got to have the, the, the savings saved up to, to deal with that uh, as you try to get your feet on the ground and figure out what works for you. Cause there's a million different ways to sell and, and, and make sales, but uh, you've got to figure out what works for you, what works for your business and what connects with your potential customers. You know, and I, and I, I totally love that. You know, ever since I knew that we were going to talk, I've, I've pretty much just delved into everything that you do, reading all your posts, all your blog posts and spending hours and hours of reading your stuff just to get to know who you are. And one thing I see that's very high on your list is building relationships. And, you know, like a friend of mine, we talk about relationship capital. So can you talk to us about, you know, building relationships? Like, you know, now that we've talked, you know, uh, I consider, you know, you a friend and hopefully we're going to build on the relationship from this point on. And, you know, that's something that differentiates between me and a lot of podcasts was that the relationship didn't start until today. And now it'll continue more. Um, but, you know, if I didn't have, you know, a friendship with like a, a guy like General Petraeus, you know, I don't think that I would be where I am today. So can you please talk to us a little bit about, about, yeah. So, you know, I, we'll talk a little bit about it in the perspective of sales for the potential veteran small business owners out there. Um, you, you know, sales are done based on relationships and think about, you know, how you decide to buy anything and especially major, you know, big purchases, um, you know, it's based on your relationship and perspective and, and, um, you know, especially when it's a small business, uh, in your, your community, it's, it's based on that relationship. If, if, you know, I go, there's a, we'll use an example of a coffee shop that's here in town. Fountain city is where I go to get a cup of coffee. Um, and you know, if I get good service and the barista is friendly, I keep coming back. And that is just a, an example of the relationship that you've got to build, uh, you know, that, you know, they get my money and they get my sales because they're friendly. Uh, they're efficient. They make the cu cup of coffee and I can be in and out and on my way to whatever else I've got going on. Um, 
so you've got you know so folks have to think about that in the 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 business relationship where it takes a while to build that relationship uh, with folks that are your potential customers. Um, you know, think about the number of emails that you get every day that are basically cold calls to make a sale. And yes, one percent of those will work, uh, but by and large, they aren't that that successful. And and you probably delete them from your 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 email inbox. Uh, so it helps to build that relationship. You know learn about the folks. And, and frankly, it, I do it because I enjoy meeting these folks, learning about them, learning to enjoying hearing their stories about grit or how their company or their part, part of the business was gritty uh, or, or demonstrated leadership or didn't demonstrate leadership. Um, and I just enjoy those stories. And if it happens to end up uh, in turning into a business relationship, that's great. But it does take that work to establish that relationship, you've got to connect with the the person uh, and build that relationship uh, before you ever get to to a sale. I don't know if that re that really got to your your question. If it didn't, read you'll come at yeah. me again, and I'll uh, 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 oh. I'll talk some more about it. Well, in a sense, you know, um, especially. So, what are some of the things that you know, being in the military? What are some of the positives that you've seen that helped you in business from being in the military and the military mindset? What are some of the things that, you know, like I, like I find that in the military, we're taught you, you work until the mission is accomplished. You know, you just don't go home at four o'clock when it's time to go home. So what kind of positive things did you get from the military that you can transfer over into the civilian yeah, sector um, in business? So, you know, the, your folks that are out there, your listeners that are thinking about making the transition, you know, some things that the military uh, definitely helped you with um, are, you know, work ethic, uh, you know, organizational skills, uh, the ability to think through a long range project and develop uh, a plan to accomplish it. Those three things are, are huge uh, advantages. You've also probably been put in leadership roles where your peers haven't. Um, you know, I worked with one company that it was a six year process for a new hire to actually have responsibility of other, other folks. And, you know, you think about even, you know, the, the private that goes to corporal and is all of a sudden a team leader after a year or two in the army and is responsible for, you know, two to three other people or a tank commander or, or, or whatever, um, you know, those are some advantages uh, that you're going to have. Some things, I, I think the other thing, though, the, a better question to think about is uh, what is it the Army going to prepare you for? Or what isn't the, the Navy or the, the Marines or, or the Air Force going to prepare you for? And, and some of that is language out there. And the military spends a ton of time on, on making sure it has uh, – definitions of different words and what those words mean. But if you go into a corporate environment, uh, they're interchanging mission and vision and purpose uh, and uh, st strategy means one thing to one person, means something else to somebody else. Tactics means one thing to one person, what means something else. And that is one of the biggest things is you've got to adjust. You you may have been drilled what those doctrinal terms 
uh, were in the army, but when you get out into the corporal environment, uh, they mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Um, and that is one of the things that um, takes some adjustment uh, to, you know, become accustomed to, to what those words mean uh, and the fact that there isn't a common definition uh, for some of these words that folks are throwing around in the business environment. You know, I love that. And like I said, I talked to a guy, he's a professional resume writer and he, and he was part of a big uh, fortune 500 company. And he said he would get all these um, resumes from veterans and they would have all these acronyms and he was, his eyes would just glare over and he would just throw it out and say next, you know, cause we don't realize that there, like you said, there's a whole different vocabulary in the civilian sector than there is in the military sector. And sometimes when we try to bleed it over, it doesn't exactly work out <laughs> to our advantage. Yeah. Now I have a couple of questions. If you have a couple minutes to ask from some of our veterans, okay. all right. My amigos, like I said, now, is this the speed answers, round? Just, all right. All right. We're on the speed round. Yeah. There you go. It's kind of, there you go. Uh, what single change in the military during your career had you can seriously consider leaving and how did you stay? Why did you stay? Hmm. I, I don't really have a good uh, answer for that. Um, uh, you, you know, um, there wasn't, uh, you know, I, well, so, so, so one of the, I, I think, of, all right, so I'll flip this on its head. One of the reasons why I stayed in the army is because I almost did the invasion of Haiti in 94 and didn't. And so didn't see combat um, and thought I missed out. All my peers show up to uh, the advanced course and they'd all been to Bosnia and were telling, you know, stories about being in Bosnia. Um, and so I stuck around for this idea that, um, you know, partially because I wanted, you know, I, I felt like I, I hadn't done what I'd signed up in the, in the army uh, to do. Um, and then fast, you know, it, then it becomes uh, be careful what, what you ask for uh, because then I turn around and go to Iraq three times in Afghanistan, uh, you know, as a, you know, as a major, you know, as a captain, a major and a lieutenant colonel. And so um, I know folks are coming into the military right now. They're not your amigos, but, you know, if, if, if new folks that are in the military are coming in and, and they feel like they, they missed out on, on their chance to get a combat patch or a, or a, or a CIB or a cab, uh, just, uh, just things change and things evolve and, and, uh, you know, stick around and see what happens. Okay. My friend Lisa, she says, if you alone can make one change to the military, what would you change? Hmm. I, I, uh, I hadn't thought about that one, uh, in, in, in a little while. Um, Oh, I, I, okay. Uh, so the biggest thing I would change is the procurement process. Uh, I think the military procurement process is broken. Uh, and, and frankly, that needs to be fixed where we, we can acquire uh, a new tank or a new airplane or um, at, at a cheaper cost and without 
uh, multiple years uh, to to finally get to it. You know, the army's trying to do that right now with Futures Command uh, and trying to do it with the next generation. I can't remember what the right acronym is, but the next generation uh, Bradley fighting vehicle, a next generation tank, um, and is trying to do that. But it still remains seen if they're going to be able to pull it off because the bureaucracy has kind of calcified and it is so much harder to get a program through, you know, just look at the F 35 and all the challenges that it's had. So I would fix the pr procurement process of, of, of major uh, weapon systems. <laughs> well, they actually, they actually tried to do that with uh, the Bradley replacement. They tried to buy an off the shelf uh, version of somebody else's, uh, you know, infantry fighting vehicle or armor or armored fighting vehicle. Uh, and they ended up having to go back to the drawing board because it didn't meet all the requirements that they had laid out in the, in the, in the perspective. All right. The next question is from oh, yeah. Kurt Bowers, yeah. the guy that has the woodworking company called works. And uh, the reason why I say he, the definition of true grit, he actually jacked up his back really bad and had the military, had to get out of the military. And then he went back to Afghanistan as a contractor. And then when he came back and started his company, and him and his wife started his company, he lost his wife uh, last year and he's still keeping on, you know, running a company and also, you know, being a father and taking care of his, his children. Yeah. So that's what, you know, personal grit, like we were talking about. His question is, what was the most painful lesson learned during your service and what was the cost? Painful lesson. I know these <laughs> yeah. questions. No, well, no, it gets average. me, gets me to think. And, uh, yeah. But you know what it is? Yeah. I like to know the person behind the uniform, you know, because that's everybody asks, you know, questions. I'm sure you've had so many questions. Right. But how right, many guys right, actually no. you <laughs> Which was which was not that good of a career. So uh, that's maybe why nobody's ever asked me about it. Um, or, uh, I don't have the uh, one story that jumps to mind is um one of the things that I was able to do as a company commander back in the 82nd Airborne Division, right, right before 9-11, um, I was able to take my individual company on an off-post uh, training exercise to Fort Pickett, Virginia. Um, and so we went up to, we, we self-deployed up to Fort Pickett. We did an air assault in and seized the airfield. I had put folks up there as as the op four and then we use the ranges at fort pickett which is in virginia it's it's within a couple hours of fort bragg uh but then we use the ranges to do a bunch of our uh squad live fires and and individual weapons qualification uh and the place was great to work with it's 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 uh either national guard or reserve uh installation uh and the the range control guys bent over backwards to to help us out um but I was bound and determined that um, I wanted to host a party for the guys at the end. And I got, I had to brief it to the division commander and we were going to serve alcohol. I thought I had all my control measures in place uh, to make sure um, it, it, it went okay. Um, but my XO decided it'd be a great idea to buy uh, some Everclear and put it in uh, watermelon. And, um, 
all my peers said, Hey, no, don't hold an alcohol party. It's not worth it. And blah, blah, blah. blah. And, and I, I still believe it was the right call to do, but any, anyway, one of the, the sergeants uh, had too much of the Everclear and ended up going to the hospital uh, for alcohol poisoning. Uh, you know, I saw my career flash before my eyes, you know, I was trying to do the right thing. thought it was important to bring the team together and have the camaraderie and accept the risk as a leader and try to put, you know, put the controls on it and everything. Luckily, the guy recovered. Nothing happened to me uh, because of it. Um, it was one of those things, though, that, that makes you sort of think about, hey, do I really want to risk something like that that was done for the right reasons, trying to trying to do the right thing? Uh, but of course, sometimes gets out of your your control. Uh, didn't have the cost for me, uh, but it was one of those those lessons where uh, I had to think through that a little bit harder uh, in, in the in the future. Um, anyway, wasn't exactly the question I think that that the that, 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 that he asked, but um, I think it has some applicability. Now, the last questions from the Amigos are, and I think you answered already, but um, when you entered the military, did you plan yeah. to make a career? Uh, so, like I said before, day one? you know, I planned on doing my my five years and uh, I always said to myself, hey, I'm going to uh, I'm going to stop doing this when it stops being fun. And inevitably, the Army would give me some sort of assignment or challenge that I found fun and uh and I would stick around again. And then I'd be like, ah, you know, maybe I, you know, maybe I should go do something different. I you know, had always thought about being a lawyer at some point in time. Um, uh, but like I said, it kept being fun and I kept sticking around uh, until I hit 24 years. And then I decided that I needed to, to go try to do something else. And the army, the army was still fun at that point in time. However, okay, uh, my daughter was here in Columbus and the army wanted me to move and I didn't want to be away from her and and not play a role in her life. So, um, you know, you make you make those those tough choices. Yeah. Okay. Now here's a weird question from me. This, me. Uh, you know, like when I was in the military, you know, the first thing I would do when we got out out of wherever we were, I would always get in my get in my room or wherever undress iron my uniforms hang them up um so that's become a, a quirk of mine that like as soon as i get home even if we go out to dinner within five minutes i'm back in shorts with a t-shirt what is one quirk that the military has taught you that you do automatically without even thinking about it and people look at you like Why? uh so so but two of them um so first off i i make my bed every morning um you know, just like Admiral McRaven uh, said in the speech. And then second, uh, yeah. I uh, I always lay my clothes out the night before. And it's part of that, hey, you know, always be ready uh, for the next day. I always uh, f- figured out, sorry, my, my dog's growling at, at, at people walking on the street. Uh, you know, always tried to be prepared and always, you know, you always sort of realize that, in the military, you know, things are always busy in the morning. And if you, for me, at least, if I, if I got up and was trying to, you know, get organized and get out the door, inevitably I would leave something. Uh, and so I, I, I learned a long time ago, you, you pack and you lay everything out the night before. 
um, because uh, if you don't, you forget something and uh, you, it's, it becomes a more challenging day than it needed to be. Okay, the last two questions. Um, what are you doing now and how could we yeah, find you? Um, we so uh, I'm running my own company, uh, which is the Five Coat Consulting Group. I'm at www.thefivecoatconsultinggroup.com. Um, I, like I said earlier, I'm in the process of publishing a book on grit uh, called Grow Your Grit. Uh, it, it will be out uh, in, mid, in mid-July, but uh, should be in a week or two if you visit my website. Uh, there'll be a link to do pre-orders uh, once we get the cover design finished and it up on, on Amazon uh, for pre-orders. Uh, and if folks like me, uh, I blog. If you, if you come to my website, I do twice a week uh, blog posts on leadership uh, and grit uh, ideas. They come out Monday and Thursday. Uh, for folks that have made the transition, there's a lot of stuff. Uh, I've done over 100 blog posts on military ideas that can translate into the corporate world uh, that are good refreshers that you might have forgotten about, like task and purpose or using the back brief uh, or uh, uh, leader's intent uh, as ways that, that you can take some of the skills that you had in the military and apply them to corporate settings. Or for, for folks that never served in the military, they're great tools to use in a corporate environment or nonprofit uh, to help align or, or give folks uh, purpose and direction. Okay, now the last question, you know, because I, okay. I, if I ask 100 people, I get 100 different answers. That's why, you know, if, if you know somebody that's struggling or is just transitioning out um, or if they're still in the military and, and don't know where their future lies, what is something they can do in the next 24 hours? You know, because we're so busy with life now with grandparents and parents homeschooling kids and the crazy world we live in, you know, that if you ask an average person to do something in seven days, they'll never get to it. But, you know, if you ask somebody to do something and take an actionable step in the next 24 hours, they're more likely. So if somebody's struggling with either transitioning out or even in business, what can they do in the next 24 hours to right the ship? So I'll I'll tell you what I do Uh, when I'm struggling, um, you know, with a business problem or a a corporate uh, problem or a transition problem uh, is I try to find, uh, you know, I will go onto a podcast, uh, go into the iTunes podcast and search uh, for a podcast on something uh, that I'm struggling with. And I'll download it to my phone and uh, you heard my dog in the background, but we go out on a early morning walk, sort of the, 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 the early morning, our early morning PT session. Uh, but I will listen to that blog for, or, or podcast uh, for an idea. You know, your podcast is a perfect one that folks can download, you know, that you've got tons of, of, of interviews of different folks that are transitioning. Uh, look for one that, that, catches your fancy or is what your what the problem is that you're dealing with uh, and download it and, and take a listen to it and, and see if any of those ideas help you uh, get better. Uh, and for me, that that has been one of the things that has really given me an advantage on the corporate side, you know, like 
this morning I was listening to stuff on self-publishing a book because I'm trying to get better at that. Um, I've been look, listening to Google ads because I want to try to uh, figure out how to do Google ads and LinkedIn ads. Um, you know, there, there's, there's so much content out there and so much stuff that it's, you know, it's tough to find great stuff, but once you find one that just sparks one idea, uh, it may help you get over that hump. Sir, I just want to say thank you for hanging out with me today. Um, and I know it has been a pain in the neck because being blind, sometimes I can only use LinkedIn because it's easier for, to be able to figure stuff out. So thank you for accommodating me uh, with your time. Um, and if there's, thank you for your friendship. You know, like you said, now we've talked, I consider you a friend and uh, hopefully the relationship just builds from here. And if there's anything I can do to support your mission, I can't wait for your book to come out. You know, I'm going to push that out everywhere. I just want to no, say thank no, you, thank you Richard. And thank you all the, for all the stuff that you're doing for the veteran community. Uh, you, you know, this podcast, that's, you know, one of the top 10 uh, veteran podcasts, you know, you're doing amazing things out there for this, this community of a couple hundred thousand vets that are transitioning every year in uh, Keep it up. I know there's going to be times that, uh, you know, you struggle with it, uh, but uh, uh, keep putting that one foot in front of the other and getting 1% better every day. And the only thing I'm going to ask is when we get done, you know, later on, whenever you get a chance, just send a picture and a quick quote and I'll, and I'll do your, our graphics and everything. So like I said, sir, thank right. you Thanks, so Richard. much. Thank you. And God bless you and your family. You too. Bye. Have an amazing day.